So it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, um, I, I, I'm a co-pastor with Dan Kinneman, and you guys have had him before, and his dad and his mom and his sister and his brother-in-law just came in. So, um, And uh, Dan always prays for you every Sunday because he prays for the church around the world. And every time when we meet for prayer, he's always talking about the church around the world who are meeting also because, you know, we just we realize we're, no, we're just a local little church in Coventry, just like your local church here. And this church, it's a lot bigger than this. I like that the way the guy who gave the announcement says, hello, church. You know, it's good. The cold out ones. So today we're going to look at integrity. Integrity, is that a good word? Like, what is integrity? How do you know if you have it? Who defines it? Where does it get you in life, and why would you want to have it anyways? You know, um, the one definition that a lot of people use that would define integrity, what you do when no one's watching, you know? But we all know that there's always somebody watching. It may not be your boss. It may not be your spouse. It may not be your friends. It may not be that policeman on the side of the road. But somebody's watching. According to Webster's Dictionary, integrity is an unimpaired condition, soundness, firm adherence to a code of moral values, incorruptibility, the quality or state of being complete or undivided, completeness. So integrity then is soundness, incorruptibility, completeness. When you think about integrity, sometimes you can think about people, but there's other things that we would like to see some integrity in, right? One of the states with the worst bridges in the country. Now, we're not too crazy about that, but you know what? Now it seems like they got every single one of them dug up. I don't care what road you go on, there's like one lane going over the bridge. But we want to see some integrity there. And if we were to shoot down to Quonset down here and said, we're going to go across the Block Island, and there were five boats there, and you got to choose, you would probably want to pick the one that you thought had the most integrity to make it over to Block Island. You're going to look at that boat, and you're going to say, it's got a hole in it. I'm not going in that one. That motor looks really bad. I don't think that's a good one to go in. So you're going to look for something with some integrity because you want to make it. And when God looks down, he's looking... For people with integrity, right? Today we'll look at some of the events in the life of Lot. Oh, except for it's really Job. I don't know why I wrote that. When I rewrote this, I put Lot. It's Job. <laughs> so if you want to look, follow along, we're going to start off in Job chapter 1. We don't know a lot about him. And he's basically a standalone character. Nobody else talks about him in the Bible narrative. We're going to look how he responded to what we would consider very stressful and very troubling circumstances in his life. We'll see how Job looked at integrity, how he exemplified integrity. We'll see what God thinks of integrity and how integrity can be genuine, but it isn't always. As we go through this study, let's do a personal assessment and see how we measure up to the integrity bar. And if we're falling short, how we can take action so that we too will be people of integrity. Let's remember, it's easy to have integrity when life is going smoothly, right? But when life gets a little bumpy, that's when our integrity really shows up. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for the story of Job. I pray that you will be with us as we take a look at this passage today and see how Job responded. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Job, a man of integrity, starting off in Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now he was blameless, not sinless. There's nobody been sinless except for Jesus Christ on this earth, but he was blameless. He was upright in his dealings both with God and with man. He feared God. He wasn't afraid of God, but he reverenced his majesty, 
regarded his authority and dreaded his wrath. Turning away from evil, he didn't look on it, he didn't consider it, he walked away. He avoided all the appearances. <clears throat> In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So although he was not perfect or sinless, it appears he put his trust in God, sought to live a God-pleasing life, and sought to follow God's will for his life. Now that's a hard one, isn't it? Following God's will. It's like you ever talk to people and you say, well, what's God's will for your life? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what he wants me to do. And we think about, well, is it college? Is it, am I going to marry that girl from church or not? Am I going to marry somebody else? Am I going to take that job? Am I going to retire? That's what we always think about. But you know what? The Bible is filled with God's will. And you don't have to be looking for a particular specific thing. If you're doing the things that are in the Bible, those decisions are going to be easy. But if you're just concentrating on a job change or a marriage or something like that, you're, you're not looking in the right place. You've got to find out, you know, what God says, don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You know, people think that the Bible is a don't book, but it also is a do book. It tells you a lot of things to do. Now, a little bit about Job. I'm just going to skin through these. Seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a lot of servants. And... <clears throat> it says, and that man was the greatest of men of the East. This guy was the man of the whole place. He had a lot of stuff. God had indeed blessed him. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, they shouldn't have all that stuff. Well, you know what? Sometimes God just blesses you. And so what are you going to do? Give it back? Well, you give it away, but you don't have to give it back. You know, God's going to bless you if he wants to. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also something wrong with thinking that everybody that becomes a Christian is going to have everything. Right. You know, that's, 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 that kind of irritates me, you know. I call it the old uh, prosperity gospel. But you know what? That's not what God's all about either. He's not all about the here and now, but he does bless, doesn't he? Look what he did with Jacob. You've got to love that story. His father-in-law, he was something. You don't want him for your father-in-law. It's like, when, when, all of a sudden, when Jacob's doing good with those goats, he goes, whoa, wait a minute, we're going to switch it up. Wait a minute, I get, the, I get the spotted ones, you get the other ones. Then all of a sudden, the striped ones started doing better. You know, it's like, there wasn't anything that Laban could do that could hinder God blessing Jacob, despite the fact that he did have to work for 14 years for two wives. It's hard enough working 14 for one. So, let's move on to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along also among them. What's the Satan doing there? Kind of troublesome, isn't it? But remember, Satan's a great accuser. How can he accuse if he's not in the, he's not in the house? Satan's an adversary. That's what his name means. Satan had been an adversary since Genesis chapter 3. And he's going to be one right to the very end because Revelation 10, 12, 10 says, The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before God day and night. That's what his job is. You know, some people want to, you know, Flip Wilson for us older people. The devil made me do it. You know what? He's got other stuff to do. He's out there accusing you of things you didn't do. What Satan was doing was accusing and that's what his mission is in the world. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Where did you come from? <laughs> and then Satan answered the Lord and said, Oh, from roaming on the earth and walking on it. That's a scary thought, isn't it? He's roaming the earth and walking on it. Now, God didn't have to ask him where he was, did he? He knew where he was. God knows everything. But you know what? He was just basically making him accountable. You know, like parents do with kids. They know, like, what are you doing? Um, nothing. You know, they get, they get a little nervous, right, when your parents go, or your Sunday school teacher, or whatever. Pastor Rich, where you've been for the last six weeks? 
You never have to say that, though, do you? No, no, no never. Uh, we have a guy at church. It's a, uh, his name is Greg. He's got some special needs, but you know what? The kid's a sharp kid. And one guy came in, and he goes, where you been? The guy goes, you, I've, I've been here. He goes, you missed six weeks. <laughs> it's like, you can't fight Greg, man. Greg nailed him. And he, he comes a lot more often now. But um, so, you know what the thing is? It's just a little, this isn't even in the notes. And he didn't even tell me to say this. But, you know, if you want to encourage everybody on this side, you guys come. If you guys want to encourage them, you guys come. Because, you know what? Think how you feel when you look around and say, where's, where's Jim? How come he's not up there playing? Oh, he's taking the week off. You know, it's like, well, that's not right. Jim should be here. We're in church. This is church day. So, you know what? If you want to encourage people, all you got to do is come. You don't even have to say it. You don't, you don't even have to sing. You can sing if you want. It was good singing, wasn't it? But, you know, you don't have to. You can just sit there and enjoy the music. So the Lord said to Satan, where did you come from? He says, been roaming around the earth. Remember, John 12 tells us he's the ruler of the world. And in Ephesians 2, it tells us he's the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He's got a lot of power down here, doesn't he? Second Peter 5.8. And we don't want to take that lightly. You know, some people take it lightly, but you don't want to take that lightly. Second Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When he's not accusing, he's devouring. You know, it says that Satan can be the angel of light. But you know what? I think he really enjoys more being that roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. And um, if you're a Christian, he wants to destroy you. And if you're not a Christian, he wants to make sure you don't become one. So he's working on everybody. Don't just think he's going just after the Christians. He's going after everybody. When you look at life and you say, all the sin and everything that people get involved in, where do they end up? You know? Where do they end up? You know, say, it never ends well for those who have fallen under Satan's power. It just doesn't end well. You know, it's like, you can just start off with that recreational drug. In fact, if you go to Massachusetts, you should see the lines outside those places. My wife and I go to Boston quite often. And we're like, what the heck is that place? There's always police there. And there's like these two lines. One day she gets on her phone. She goes, that's a marijuana disbursement center. Some big company. That's a super business they got there. You've got to go through three like air booths to get into where they grow. Because they don't want to make you, you don't want to contaminate it. You know, she was reading the whole thing of what they do. You go through this room and it just shoots off everything that's on you and you go into another room and you're in a special thing. This is the people that work there. But outside that place, I don't care what time of day we go by there, there's people lined up. You know what? They're looking to get something from somewhere that's not going to satisfy. And, you know, it's a sad thing. And they're out there in the pouring rain. We go by in the pouring rain, they're still there. Policemen are still getting paid, and they're still getting their stuff, and they go in one door. It used to be a bank, and they come out the other door. So in verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. This is the second time we've seen this description of Job. He speaks of Job honorably as a faithful servant. And you know what? Satan couldn't question God's assessment, because it was true. He couldn't, you know, he could question it. But you know what I mean? He couldn't say, I got this guy. He couldn't get this guy. God thinks highly of Job. And then, for some reason, God allows Job to be tested. You know, you're almost like, hey, when Satan goes knocking, God, forget where I am. Don't be saying anything nice about me, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to get, go through this, you know. It's like, because you know what? God's like a proud parent, man. You know, it's like you got parents, you get proud of your kids, you're going to talk about them. Well, God's talking about his kids, 
And Job was his man. No one better than him in the whole east. But you know what? In verse 9, we see that then Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about us? about him and his house and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You know what Job's saying here? There was not, I mean, a Satan saying here about Job? He is but a mercenary. Now to take something right out of the news, he's saying that Job's got a quid pro quo. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, it's like, God does this, so then he does this. Yeah, I get it now. A little quid pro quo. Again, there's nothing wrong with God blessing people. Remember I said, Jacob got blessed. But look what he said. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. It's pretty strong, isn't it? He says he's going to curse God to his face. You know what? There's people out there in the world that they'll talk about people behind their back, but they won't say it to their face. But you know, it's like someone's really angry when they go right to your face, aren't they? When they jump in your face, you know you got a little problem. But that's what he's saying that Job's going to do. You take away his stuff, he's going to get right ugly in your face, and he's going to curse you. You know, sometimes... God does tie faithfulness and prosperity. But like I said, not always. Satan had nothing to accuse Job of, so he decided to charge him with hypocrisy. You know, isn't that something that people of the world like to charge the people in the church with, is being a hypocrite? Because all you have to do is one thing wrong, and now you're a hypocrite. Because Christians are supposed to be perfect. That's what the world thinks, right? If you say you believe this, now they believe things on certain subjects and they mess up, but if a Christian messes up, then you're a hypocrite. And why would I want to be like you? Well, that's what Satan's saying here. He goes, you know, Job's nothing but a hypocrite. He wasn't the real deal. He only portrayed himself as the real deal. When all else fails, Satan said, I'm going to make some false charges. It was a great truth that Job did not fear God for naught because he got much for godliness, didn't he? But it was a falsehood that he would not have feared God if he didn't have those things, as we're going to see. You know, if you say that, you know, it's like, Job is a hypocrite because he was following after God because he was getting stuff. What does that say for Christians who someday are going to get eternity with the Lord and Savior? We're going to get something far greater than a bunch of sheep and goats and oxen and camels. So does that make us mercenaries? No. Is God's going to reward those who follow after him. Verse 12, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So Satan thinks he's got it all figured out now, doesn't he? He's going to go and he's going to have his oxen and donkeys taken. His sheep are going to be consumed by fire. His camels are going to be taken. His children and their wives are all going to die. All his servants, except for one in each of those scenarios, is going to die. And they all came to Job and said, I alone escaped to tell you this. Talk about having a bad day. Think about that. These, these servants came running, one after another, after another. And it's like when the first one came, it's like, wow, that's, a, that's not good. Then the next one comes, the next one, look at the last one, his children got killed. Matthew Henry said, God declared Job the best man living. Now if Satan can prove him a hypocrite, it will follow that God has not one faithful servant among men and that there is no such thing as true and sincere piety in the world, but religion 
was all a sham. And Satan was king, in fact, over all mankind. But it appeared the Lord knows best those that are his, right? But think about it. Matthew Henry saying there that this was a real battle. God and Satan. And Job was the test case. You know, sometimes you watch those Christmas movies. And there's like the test case, like Miracle on 34th Street. Who's the test case? The little girl and her mom. If we can only get them to believe in Christmas, then we can save it. Otherwise, it's all gone, right? Well, that's what's happening here. God's saying, I got a guy. And Satan says, I'm going to get the guy. And you know what? He's still trying to do that now. He's still trying to knock Christians down. Defeat you. Make it so you feel like you are in unworthy, incapable of serving him properly. And we all fail, don't we? And you know what? That's the best thing we got going because we got a forgiveness policy. You know, it's like talk about accident forgiveness. We got forgiveness. You know, God is going to forgive you when you, when you don't reach the standard that he wants you to. And not just once, like all state. <laughs> then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. What would you do if you got all that news? You know what? These are all symbols of grief and great sorrow from the time in which Job lived. You know, you don't see people tearing robes and shaving heads and falling on the ground and putting ashes over their heads now, do you? But you know what? In that day, that was really common. It was like, there was like a sign. It's like you didn't have to say, did he have a bad day? He had a bad day. Is there something going on? Yeah, there's something going on. There was no guessing here. It's understandable too, isn't it? And acceptable that he would feel like this. Think about the last time something really bad happened to you. How did you feel? Did you say, that is the best news I ever heard? You know, if, if you get anybody around that says that, they're lying. You know, nobody likes bad news. I know I don't. You know, it's like, it sets you back a little bit. But look what happened here. Job worshipped. Despite it all, he submitted to God's will. He said, God is still in charge. Now, the question I have for you, is that easy to do in our lives? I say no, but I don't know what you say. But I know in my case, it's no. It's no. But look what he says here. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This goes right back to Genesis 3.19. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 1 Timothy 6.7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Instead of cursing God, Satan got Job blessing God. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've run into a few people that blame God for a lot of things. You know? Where was God when? You know, why didn't God stop that hurricane? Why didn't God stop that car? Why didn't God do this? So they blame God because God was asleep at the switch. You know, we allowed something to happen that shouldn't have happened. So he didn't sin by charging God with wrong. That's what Satan wanted him to do, to say, hey, hey, God, you did something wrong here. Look what you did. You took away everything I have, including my family. Did he blame God? No. He knew God was always right. And he knew that God's will was going to be done. Now, is that easy? Again, I'm going to say no. You might be able to say yes, I don't know, but I'm saying no. That's not easy. 
Satan was wrong, therefore he got proved to be who he really is, the father of all lies. He's a liar. God was right. God is truth, right? And Job, guess what? He was an upright man. He lived up to his billing, and he kept his integrity. So round one goes to God and Job. But if you turn to chapter 2, verse 1, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Now you would think he's coming to say, hey, you are right, that guy is something. You know, right on, that guy's, that guy's, the, that guy's the real deal. He's not a hypocrite. But he didn't do that, did he? Because he's an accuser and a liar. And he's going to work on some other scenario here. And God said to Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered and said, from roaming about the earth and walking on it. And the Lord said to Satan, it's like, man, do you have to say this? Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And then he even adds one more. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him, to ruin him without cause. You know, sometimes things happen that we are like wondering, why did it happen? You know, it's like sometimes it's just without cause. You know, sometimes. Times things happen without cause. You know, I, I really get a, a little bit nervous when people start thinking that something happened to somebody because of something they did. That's, a, that's, that's playing God. You know, it's like, we're not the call, we're not the, we're not the call that one. But I've heard people say that kind of stuff and saying, well, you know what? Hey, they're getting their just due. It's a little scary. It scares me when people say that stuff. But you know what? Sometimes it's just plain without cause. You know, you try to look back and say, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. We see that Job is the same person in adversity as he was in prosperity. Are we like Job? Are we the same person in adversity as we are in prosperity? Are we the same person... That when we get it, how we feel when we get a job is when we lose a job. When we get a friend and when we lose a friend. When we're healthy and when we're sick, are we the same person? When we get the new car and when we crack up the new car, are we the same person? I don't know about you, but for me, little things bug me a whole lot more than the big things. You know? It's like you do something that's really like you consider on the dumb side, and you get all upset. But something big happens, you go, wow, I had nothing worse happen. But when something little happens, you just kind of lose it. It's like, what am I thinking here? But he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him. Are we content in whatever circumstances we're in? Like the Apostle Paul, he knew what it was like to have and to not have. You know, at my church, we're doing the Dave Ramsey course at nighttime, and he's teaching us a little bit about money. It's kind of a good course. And um, then what you can do with it when you're not wasting it. That's where we kind of led last week. It's like, like, like he says, uh, give uncontrollably, you know, because you have money that you're not throwing away into other things. In Job chapter 2, verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. He's saying here, you know what? We touched his things. Let's touch him. Let me touch him. You ever notice when you're feeling sick? You ever get cranky? <laughs> a little sharp. Say a little thing. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You know, I got a fever. You know, sometimes when you're sick, you can say some really honest things, <laughs> really things that you've really been thinking about. All of a sudden, it just comes, I didn't. You know, it's like you're like, whoa, did they say that? My dad was in the hospital. He had had a, I think that was his heart attack. <laughs> and he, they had him ICU, and he's 
comes out and goes to me and my brother. He goes, where am I? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're in Kent Hospital, Dad. You had a heart attack. The nurse is right there. He goes, oh, that's not good. They're not very good there. <laughs> me and my brother are like, oh, boy. <laughs> but, you know, my dad had visited that hospital for 40 years, so I, I guess he, he could make that call. But, you know, it was like, here he is. He's just like, they're not that good there. It's like... I don't think he'd ever said that before when he was visiting there, visiting people all those years, but, you know, it kind of caught me and my brother off guard, that's for sure. I said to the nurse, hey, don't listen to him. We're good with you guys. So, um, however, put forth your hand and touch his bone and flesh. He will curse you to your face. You know, he's just so sure that he can get Job to curse God to his face. You know, not behind his back, not telling somebody else, but right to his face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So you know what? No, but despite the fact that Satan has power, this is the second time we're seeing it, God is limiting the adversary here. He's limiting him. He's not letting him have free reign. Now, there is a day coming when he is going to have free reign here. This is going to be some, we think it's bad. You know, we haven't seen nothing. We haven't seen anything. We had a missionary at our church last week from Haiti. It's so bad down there, the kids haven't got going to go to school for 10 weeks. He said the people that only buy food on a daily basis are really in trouble because they're afraid to go out in the streets. And they're like used to going every single day to buy their food, and now they can't go out. So, you know, we think it's... Things are crazy here, but when you think about some of these other countries, you'll understand it. Then in verse 7, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils, from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Anybody ever have a boil? They hurt. Yeah. And they just ache. And they, but from the bottom of your feet all the way to the top of your head and every place in between, what are you going to do, Stand? You're going to sit? No. You're going to lay down? No. What are you going to do? How are you going to get comfortable? I was thinking about the only thing you could do, get in the water. But you know what? Who knows what that would have, how that would have affected those things. But here he is. He's covered with these things. And what did he do? He sat down in the ashes. He took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself. What are you going to do? You know, here he is. And Satan's probably thinking, Got him, got him, got him. You're like, nobody wants to have something that's bothering them, like on a constant thing. You know, you think about that toothache you had or that pain or whatever. My biggest pain in my life came out of like nowhere. Woke up one morning, got, oh, my back hurts. What's going on here? I must have pulled something, put some ice on it. It kept getting worse. My wife was going to have her physical that day. And about 15 minutes later, I says, you ain't going to the doctor. You're taking me. So we get in the car. My back is, like, killing me. I says, we got a fire station, like, yeah, about a half a mile from my house. I pull in there. She pulls in there. They're not there. They're already out. So we keep on going. Then we, I don't know if you're familiar with West Greenwich. I says, go down there. We went down to the Mishnock Fire Department. And they throw me in the back of their ambulance, and they take me to the hospital. And before we get there, I'm already on, uh, what is that, morphine. It's like, whoa. It was, it was, I had a little teeny weeny little kidney stone. I mean, I seen that thing. I caught it in the strainer. I had to take it back in. It looked like a little landmine. It's like that little thing, like, had me under control. That little teeny little piece of calcium had me under its control. Look just like those mines that you see in the World War II movies. Those things sticking out. I'm like, oh my goodness, that little thing. You know, I was just like writhing in pain. And finally this one nurse, a guy nurse came in. He goes, whoa, whoa, you got to calm down, man. He's, uh, he's had me doing breathing exercise like, like, like I had done with my wife when she had the babies. But you know what? Once that thing was gone, bang, I was like a new guy. But that little teeny thing... I can you imagine having boils all over your whole body? I, I can't. Um, so Satan thinks he has them, but you know what? He's pulling out the ace of the deck here. His wife, 
You know, sometimes you think Job wouldn't have been too unhappy if his wife had been over visiting the kids when those four winds came. Because, listen to his wife, man. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Isn't that amazing? She's using the word. Curse God and die. She was, she was tempting Job to sin. You know what she was tempting him to do? Blaspheme God and kill himself. Because how else was he going to die? Curse God and die. Was he going to have somebody else do it? She was telling him, curse God and kill yourself. So she was telling him to blaspheme God. And as one, one of the writers said, self-murder. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. Here he is in this writhing pain. Here it is. The love of his life, mother of his ten kids, is telling him to curse God and die. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that none, no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up in us causing trouble. That's what she was trying to do here, springing up some bitterness in him. Satan uses Job's wife to achieve his purpose. Just curse God. Satan hadn't been known to do that before, by the way, with Adam and Eve, using Eve to tempt Adam. And in the New Testament, he's going to use Peter to try to tempt Jesus. So be careful about the advice you get, even from well-meaning people. Sometimes well-meaning people make mistakes with advice. So remember the Bible says, with a multitude of counselors. So if one person is telling you this, it doesn't, this doesn't ring right, check with some other people. Some other good Christians and say, you know, they were telling me to do this. What do you think of that? And see if they agree with that, you know? Because sometimes, sometimes... Go to Facebook, man. You can get a lot of answers real quick, you know, because everybody on Facebook knows everything. You know, if you don't believe me, go on today and put it out there. I don't go on. I don't have a Facebook page. My wife's on, and I peek at hers every once, and that's enough for me. My brother calls it the pool of ignorance. You know, when it's deep, too, man, you can dig that stuff up. That's deep, that pool. You, you, you can't believe some of the stuff you see that people are suggesting. But just be careful who you get advice from. Remember, Satan's goal is to ruin you. And he could use another Christian to ruin you. You know, it's not always going to be a non-Christian or the backslidden Christian. It could be a Christian that just, it just isn't, you know, it's not, just not figuring it out, what's going on. It's like, you know, they don't know the whole situation. You know it as much as you can, but God really knows that situation. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7 says, that men may know from the rising, of the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. The one forming light, creating darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Wow. God creates calamity. He goes, I'm the one. I'm in charge. That's what he's telling Isaiah here. I'm in charge. Isn't that hard for our feeble human minds to comprehend sometimes? That God could be in charge of something that we consider so terrible? Well, it's about to get better for Job because his three best friends are coming over. They heard about all this adversity that had come upon him. They came, each one, from his own place. They made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. They came with the right motives, didn't they? But you know what? Won't you give all those, oh, man, I can't believe this is happening to you kind of thing. It's like, then they go, what's really going on here? What did he do? Listen to these. In Job 4a, according to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity 
and those who sow trouble harvest it. Thank you, Elipaz. <laughs> now, build, build bad here. So the paths of those, so are the paths of those who forget God, and the hope of the godless will perish. Thank you. And then Zophar. For he knows false men, and he sees iniquity without investigating. Ah, boy. Anybody have friends like that? Are you a friend like that? You know, it's like I had, I had my roommate when I was in college go to leave for one of the breaks, go out there, and my car won't start. Well, I'm glad when God smiles his face down, it's on you, not me. Like, like just give me a jump. Come on. It's like, you know what? It's like, isn't there people like that, though? They're like, man, I'm glad it was them, not me. I don't want that kind of thing happening. So Job's response is going to see that in um, Job chapter 27, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, that we could respond like this. For as long as life is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit, Far be it from me that I should declare you right till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. I will hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. No matter what, Job is proving himself here true, true to God, true to himself. Now, if you read the whole book, which is a good reading, we can't cover the whole book here, but if you read the whole book, you're going to see that, you know, Job struggled here. You know, Job wished he had never been born. Now, he wasn't cursing God, but, you know, he's saying, you know, but if I hadn't been born, all this stuff wouldn't happen. Another Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, remember? And George Bailey thought, what would the world have been like if I had never been born? And then he got to see that. There's been other movies that have done, done that same kind of idea, but that's what Job's hoping here, that he had never been born, and then all these things wouldn't have happened. And then in Job 31, we get another perspective of Job and his perspective of God. Does he not see my ways? Of course he does. And number my steps? Of course he does. It says that God knows our length of our lives before we're born. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after defeat, deceit, if I've done that, and he's putting another challenge here, let him weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. Now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? It's like, you say to a, like your boss, hey, you know what, bring it on. He was like, I did my job, check it out, look at it. I used to work with a girl when I worked at Kmart when I first got out of college. She'd work like all day on an end cap and then run, like go find the manager. It's like, and all the rest of us said, we've been working all day. She's been playing on one little end cap, but she was, she was Marianne. And that's all we had to say. You know, she was just being Marianne. But you know what? Asking... To be tested. That's what Job's saying here. Test me. You know, all the, my three friends here say I am being tested, but I'm saying I'm not. But if God wants to weigh me with accurate scales, he knows his friends had inaccurate scales. You know, you don't want to go to a store where the guy's weighing it out and he keeps his thumb on the scale, right? You know, the, in Proverbs it tells about making sure that you use proper scales. You don't cheat people. You go to the gas station, those little stickers there. I want to get that job. You go around with a can and you fill it up, see if it measures a gallon when it reads a gallon on the thing. And you get to put that sticker there and that pump's okay for two years. <laughs> Weights and measures. That's a pretty decent job, isn't it? I don't know what they do with the gas. They get the port in their car. I don't know. <laughs> but I think they got to put it back. I guess they have to go open that tank thing up and pour it in. I don't know what they do with it. But think about it. You want accurate scales. Because if you have inaccurate scales, then everything that you've measured is wrong. 
But he goes, let God measure me with accurate scales. I'm good with that. But let God know my integrity. God's okay. If he wants to know my integrity, do it. Okay, I got the page, Rich. Almost done. <laughs> okay, application here. Men of integrity have character. They're blameless. They're upright. They fear God. They turn away from evil. And you know what? Job said, God knows who we are. God knows who we are. Who cares what everybody else says about you? God knows who you are. And you know what? That's the only person I'm answering to. You know, when it comes right down to it, he's going to judge every deed and thought that I've had. Not too, not too uh, excited about some of that stuff, by the way. But you know what? At least you know it's going to be accurate. And we're seeing some crazy stuff happening in our country. And it's like, what is like, stop the insanity, you know? I met Pastor Rich and Paula the other day for lunch with my wife, and guy comes in and it was like the news was on. He goes, turn it off, man. Just put a movie on. It's like, we're just so tired of it, aren't we? But you know what? It's because there's no integrity involved here. You know, I don't know. You know, it's like you point your fingers at anybody. But it's like God is the only one that knows who we really are. And then men of integrity have certainty. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job saying, God's in control, not me. God's in control, not me. Just think about some of the decisions you've made in your life. Probably a good thing, isn't it? You know, it's a good thing that we're not in control because we, we, we make some crazy choices sometimes, don't we? And then men of integrity have confidence. Like we just read those verses. Let him weigh me with his accurate scale and let God know my integrity. God's the judge, not you. That's like I said before. Don't, if you see something happen in somebody's life, you know, if you can help them, you help them. But don't be trying to figure out what they did wrong. That's between them and God. If we want to be like Job, a man of integrity, then we have to be able to say like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4-7 in following. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surprising greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. So, you know what? Life isn't always going to be roses. There's going to be things that are going to come along to test your integrity. And are you going to pass the test like Job did? Or are you going to be a notch in Satan's belt? Because believe it or not, not everybody does as well as Job. Job, unfortunately, is probably some sort of freak. The, the fact that he could overcome this circumstance and not lose his integrity. You know, it's like everybody was telling him, there's something wrong, Job. What did you do wrong? You know, just curse God and die. But Job knew in his heart that he was true to God. And he knew that God was his judge. And he was good with that. You know, what does it say? That men love darkness rather than light. And Job was fine for that spotlight to be put on him. Just shined on him. Show everything. The purest light. You know, it was like we just did in my Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. The light, you know, when, when the amount of transfiguration, when we think it's like the light was like clear, you know, it was, it was like unbelievably bright. You know, it's like we think about bright, we think about snow, but snow's not that bright compared to the light of Christ is just, it's like, it's like an x-ray, but it's not just seeing our bones and finding our kidney stones. It's finding 
what's inside our hearts. So I encourage you to be people of integrity. It's not easy, and you will mess up. You know, it's like it would be nice if when Pastor Rich is up here or when myself at my church, you could tell people, just do this, and this, it, everything's going to be perfect, you know? You just, you know, like putting together a lawnmower or something. Then you pull the cord, and it runs, and everything's great. But, you know, life's not like that, and life throws a lot of curves at us, and Satan wants to devour us and destroy us. And the world wants to, too. The whole world system is against us. And so it's up to us to fight against that, but not on our own. Remember what Job said there? It was God's power, not his. What is that verse? I can't remember where that is. Oh, it must be here. But it's God's power, not our power. We're not basing our, our um, integrity on what we're doing ourselves. You know, by ourselves, we cannot be people of integrity. I was thinking on the way over here, can a non-Christian be a person of integrity? Can a non-Christian be a person of integrity? They can, have some, they can show some integrity, can't they? But you know what? True integrity is being Job and saying, God, check me out. And so in that case, I don't think they can. They cannot be, they cannot be fully integrity. They can have good integrity. There's some really nice non-Christian people out there in the world. And there's some really mean Christians, too. But you know what? God is the real tester of integrity. You know, we can test all we want, but God's the true test. God has the x-ray, and he's going to show the results. And we're all going to answer. We're all going to answer. But we have the blood of Jesus. And he's, gonna, he's our advocate. He's not our adversary. He's our advocate. And so you want to make sure that you're dealing with the adversary in a way that pushes them away, you know? But we want to draw close to the advocate, you know? Like what the, James says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Chase away the devil, and he'll leave you. Because the closer we are to God, the further Satan's going to be away from us. So be people of integrity. Surprise yourself what you're capable of with God's help.